0: Well, this morning, uh, we are going to be in Philippians. I understand you guys have been doing a series in Philippians, kind of walking through the book. And today, we are going to be in Philippians 2, so feel free to turn there. I have been struck by uh, just this idea lately of how it feels in our culture like everyone is sort of grasping after the hero spot, right? Like everybody wants to be in kind of the center of influence, of attention, uh, of authority, and uh, I, I find that intriguing. Let me give an example of a way I, I've seen this show up. Years ago, uh, back in kind of my college era, I was working on the Navajo reservation for a while, about six months, and uh, just really impacted by a number of the Native American leaders I was surrounded by uh, that were just doing some phenomenal work in their community. And around in this era, I saw there were some movies coming out, Right? Uh, movies about uh, native peoples, and so I was uh, getting kind of excited to see oh man okay let 's see how they approach these issues and so dances with wolves was was, was on the on the on the screen, so all right, I want to go see how uh, is Dancing with Wolves going to uh, portray which leader are they going to lift up to kind of exalt and play the hero spot kind of representing the native community and it was Kevin Costner right <laughs> like he 's not native why What's what 's that about? In, the, in that hero spot. And I'm like, okay, well, Last of the Mohicans is coming out, you know, two years later. I'm like, okay, well, let's see, in Last of the Mohicans, maybe they'll they'll kind of rectify this and have uh, have someone else in that lead role. And it was Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. And what kind of struck me was, um, here, here we are, like, two kind of award-winning, uh, significant movies focused on Native peoples, but in the central spot, and kind of the hero spot, the re- lead role at the center of attention is sort of a... Uh, a white person, their experience, their, their, their uh, influence at the center of the film. And my point is not so much to go, oh, Hollywood, why didn't you, you know, put a different actor in there? But more to go, I think it's more of a commentary that we as a culture, kind of a dominant culture, like we like to see ourselves in the hero spot. Like we as a people, and probably in any culture, in any context, we like to see ourselves in kind of the lead role, the hero role. We like to envision ourselves at the center of the story. And uh, different communities, I think, as different folks have uh, have seen, you know, kind of studied around the world, there's a sense that we like to envision ourselves and understand ourselves at the center of the story. I think we see this today, too, on uh, social media. Dude, I... I have to confess, I am a bit of a technophobe, and so I was um, not on Facebook or Twitter or any of that until about this last year. And uh, when the book was coming out, the publisher was like, okay, you got to get online, and gotta, I'm like, all right, all right, I'm going to try this. And I found, wow, it could be actually really kind of challenging. And there has been this really good, beautiful element of, man, meeting and getting connected to lots of different folks that you wouldn't know otherwise and kind of dynamic conversations and all. Um, but there's also, I think, this convicting question that starts to arise of going, am I really about kind of these people that I'm with, or am I kind of using people to try and build PR for myself? And I think a lot of folks online uh, maybe wrestle with that, going like, dude, is this really about kind of an avenue to serve God's world, to explore, to have dynamic conversations, or does this element start to creep in where it's like, dude, I want to leverage this to kind of establish a place where I get to be at the center.'" of the story, where I get to be kind of at that hero spot. And one of the problems or troubles that starts to arise in this is that there's really only room for one, one person at the center of the story, right, like one hero spot. And if everybody's kind of crying or clamoring to be at the center of attention, uh, it starts to divide and fracture and fragment the community. And in Philippians, this is one of the the issues that Paul is having to address, that there is a clamor for people wanting to get their way, to be at the center of attention, to kind of get that hero spot, and it's dividing and kind of fracturing and hurting the people of God. It's tearing the community apart. And so Paul uh, is going to address that here in Philippians 2. So if you open there, let's start with verses 1, the first few verses here, verses 1 to 4. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let's stop there for a second. Paul is saying if you have been impacted by Jesus, if your life is bound in union with him, it should make an impact. It should make a difference. If, you have, if his love has comforted you, if his union with you has impacted you, if his spirit has given you fellowship, if his compassion and tenderness uh, has impacted you and taken root in your life, then there's a change, there's a difference that is going to take place. So Paul's not going, if, if you don't identify yourself with Jesus, then this passage isn't necessarily for you, right? Like, if you're kind of in the Lord of the Flies world that we live in, where it's sort of all against all, and everybody kind of stake their claim, uh, this doesn't apply but if you have been bound in union with Jesus, if his life is in you and it's flowing through you into his world, then Paul's going, it's going to have a radical impact on our kind of tendencies to grasp out of the hero spot, at, the, at that hero spot. He says uh, that if it's had that impact, one of the things it's going to do is that you're not going to be wanting to do things now out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That that's sort of the the life that's going to flow. It's no longer a vanity trying to exalt myself before the community. It's no longer selfish ambition trying to get our way over and against others. And there's kind of this funny piece here where where Paul says, uh, be like-minded. He's basically saying, if you want to see what it looks like to have Jesus' life flow in you and through you, look at me. Be like me. Which can sound kind of arrogant, right? Like, if you really want to know what life in Christ looks like, look at me, Paul. Uh... But I think if we zoom out in context, it's really not arrogant. Uh, Pete preached recently on, on the previous passages leading into this. And the context here is that Paul is in chains. He's in prison for the sake of the gospel. And while he's in prison, people are using that to slander him, to throw, kind of throw him under the bus, right? And Paul, rather than kind of defending himself and getting on the attack and going, no, you don't get to be there. I'm, I, I, I'm the hero. I'm the right. I'm in the right. You're wrong rather than kind of rising up to attack and defend that way, he actually goes, "Man, I'm just stoked that Christ is being preached, even if it's to my own detriment at some level." And here I am in prison, potentially facing death, but for me, to live as Christ and to die as gain to live as Christ, to die as gain. Something about Jesus has given Paul the confidence that he can live fully, he can live boldly, he can pursue God, he can give his life, pour his life out in God's world, and he doesn't need to be so concerned with defending his own kind of reputation or standing. He doesn't need to clamor or grasp after kind of that hero spot, that center of attention. Uh, He's willing to lay his life down for the sake of the community for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus and his glory in the world, uh, come what may, to himself. So if our life has been united with Jesus, it's going to make a difference and an impact in how we live. We see that Jesus himself gave up the hero spot. Paul is going to go on and say that uh, this isn't just something we kind of grunt out. As we look to Christ, Jesus didn't grasp after the hero spot. Even though he's probably the one person in the universe that, that, that has right to lay claim to it. That Jesus himself let go of that to come down, to get himself dirty, to serve us and ultimately to lift us up and reconcile us to God. To put us in that right place before God. So let's look at what Paul declares of Christ here. Philippians 2 now, we're in verse 5. He says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death If you're looking at this in your Bible, you notice that suddenly it gets indented, right? It's indented because this is a a hymn. It's like a poem, a hymn. And it's actually one of the earliest known hymns that we have. It's this Christ hymn. It's a hymn that's a a song that is exalting Jesus. And it's believed actually to be a hymn that was either baptismal or Eucharistic, which means uh, something that would be sung as people are about to be baptized. And the sense is is that as you are going under the water and dying to yourself and you are being raised into the life of Christ, this is the life of Christ that you are being raised into. It's setting up the life of Jesus, the narrative, that he is one who poured himself out for our sake. And now as we are dying to ourselves and being raised into his life, the sense that we are going to be his life pouring through us, we are now going to pour our lives out for his sake and for the sake of others. <clears throat> it's a hymn of the Jesus that we are identified with. In baptism, in communion, as we take the bread and the wine, this is the Jesus whose body and blood binds us and unites us to himself. The Jesus who begins to pour his life in us and through us into his world. <clears throat> Now it says that uh, <clears throat> though being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. One translation says that uh, he did not consider his equality with God a gain to be exploited. Right? That Jesus is, you know, he actually had the hero spot, and he willingly steps out of it. He gives it up for a season. He lays down his life to come, and why did he leave it? It says he came uh, and he took on the nature of a servant. And we see in Christ's life this posture of servanthood. That as Jesus steps into the world, the presence of God's kingdom is breaking in, and then through Christ, his servant, that Jesus is healing the sick, demons are being cast out. Jesus is confronting injustice and things that are wrong, and it's like around Jesus, the presence of God's kingdom is breaking in and in through him because he humbles himself and takes on the nature of a servant. And not only that, he humbles himself before God to the point of crucifixion, of his brutal death, of giving his life, going into the grave, atoning for our sin, carrying our sin into the grave, getting himself uh, just dirty and burdened under the weight of our sin in order to lift us up and to reconcile us to God and to establish us in that place before God. <clears throat> when I think about this, uh, you know, this image that comes to mind is, uh, imagine kind of this, uh, the the wine of jesus divinity right like kind of this bottle of finest expensive like hundred thousand dollar wine or something right that's so valuable so good and it's protected and it's been in this uh kind of safe cellar and, and it's there and it gets poured out jesus pours out the wine of his divinity into this fragile glass this fragile clay cup space face right like he pours himself out, and he makes himself vulnerable. And in this, he makes himself vulnerable to our sin, to our tragedy, to our injustice in our world. He takes it upon himself, and ultimately to the point even in his death of being smashed to the ground. And it's that service flowing from the life of Christ that brings to us the wine and the bread, the body and the blood that heals us that restores us, that makes us whole, that lifts us up to God. Jesus pours out his life to lift us up to God. When we think of that distance that Jesus crossed, um, this wasn't like a small distance. It wasn't like a construction worker who's on the roof and's like, okay, I'm going to hop down the ladder now and go onto the ground, right? This would be more like an astronaut in the heights of the heavens, right, and plummeting all the way down into the very belly of the earth. The distance that Jesus crosses is cosmic. It's, it's more than uh, me driving this weekend from Portland out here to Bend, right? Like, it's more like a uh, picture of Jesus in a rowboat, you know, out on the ocean and rowing around the world. You know, like the, the distance that he crossed in order to lift us up to God is so much greater than anything that we could conceive of. And so I'm struck by that, just going, man, we we have nothing to complain about when we think about the distance to love our enemies, to serve those who have hurt us. I was talking this last week with uh, some friends from uh, Vietnam, and in one of the Vietnamese villages recently in this area, they had uh, been crossing the border into Laos to uh, help kind of share the gospel, to to plant churches amongst an unreached people group. And so these were uh, a real impoverished, uh, this was a really impoverished village, um, and here they were kind of sending missionaries and giving from what they had to go out with this unreached people group, and uh, my friends, kind of these Vietnamese leaders were going, wow, we, you know, we value unreached people groups. We never even really taught that or said, like, where, you know, where did that desire come from? And they said, uh, well, you guys taught it to us. And the Vietnamese leaders were like, uh, no, we didn't. We never, we never mentioned anything about unreached people groups. They said, no, you taught us to love others as Christ has loved us. You taught us to love our enemies because Christ loved us as enemies. And we really, really hate those other people. <laughs> like, we can't imagine anyone worse. And so if Jesus was willing to cross that distance for us, we're willing to go this little distance to them and lay down our lives to love and serve and reconcile and be with with them. The distance that Christ has crossed as he kind of gives up the hero spot at the center of the universe um, in his incarnation to come and enter the vulnerability and fragility of our world in order to pour himself out like an offering and lift us up and reconcile us to God, that distance, when it takes root in us, when Christ's life, his spirit takes root in us, it becomes a much smaller thing for us to cross the distances and to, those, to, to, to reach out to those who've wounded us. To step into life with those who annoy us. To not need to grasp at kind of getting our way and always being right, uh, but to lay down our lives for each other. I, mean, I find probably nowhere more intimately show up than in marriage, right? Like one of the greatest uh, pieces of marriage advice I ever got was you know, an older couple going, okay, the two biggest words you need to know are, I'm sorry. Right, Where, my you know, we show up in the morning and we kind of come down and rubbing our eyes. And my wife's like, I thought you said you were going to do the dishes last night. Like, well, you were supposed to wash the car. Well, you were, you know, and this back and forth thing. And man, versus just being able to lay down my, agenda like, I'm sorry, you were right. <clears throat> to give up the need to kind of claw at each other and, and be right or be at the center of attention and to lay down our lives for one another. <clears throat> well, as Jesus crosses this distance, I think it confronts the life that we live. Jesus humbles himself and is then exalted by God. Uh, but that's a very different pattern than we see in, in, uh, in us and in others. So take Satan, for example, and kind of the uh, common history or depiction or understanding would be that Satan's fall, that he tried to exalt himself before God and over God. And as a result of kind of exalting himself, he was humble. He was cast down. He fell. But that uh, Jesus takes the opposite. Right? He humbles himself to serve, to pour his life out and God exalts him. See in Adam, that Adam exalts himself wanting to be like God, wanting to be Uh, no longer co-rule with God under him, but to exalt himself and be like God, and he is humbled. There's a fall. right? But Jesus is the new Adam. He humbles himself, and God exalts him. And for us, Adam's story is our story. There are so many ways that we have tried to exalt ourselves in the world, tried to establish ourselves at the center of attention, at the center of influence. Uh, And Jesus steps in, and he, he says in Matthew, he says, those who humble themselves will be exalted, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled. That Jesus calls us to lay down our lives for one another. And I guess one of the uh, convicting things that stands out for me in this is the ways that we uh, don't actually do this, the ways that often, even in our acts of service, we can attempt to be exalting ourselves. Uh, even in our acts of service, I found that often we are attempting to exalt ourselves. An example, just this last week, um, has obviously heartbroken over the tragedy in Nepal, the earthquake. Uh, we have uh, some friends who live there uh, long-term. And uh, yeah, and so communicating with them. And I, I had some conversations with folks this week that were like, dude, I bought a plane, you know, I'm getting a plane ticket and I'm, I'm flying over to Nepal. And it's like, hey, great, well, what are you what are you going to do? Like, I'm just going to go do stuff, help. Okay, well, how are you going to help? Like, who, do you have any contacts over there? You know, and and uh, behind the scenes, you know, a lot of the organizations that are on the ground coordinating relief and development efforts would say, dude, folks who just kind of drop in, trying to be the hero and help out, like, are often getting in the way more, you know? And so it's kind of like, well, there are actually folks who, you know, are, are coordinating things on the ground, and it's, it's probably better to support those on the front lines rather than not. <clears throat> but there's kind of a sense of, yeah, but I need to go and be, I need to be able to show my family and my friends and others that, like, I'm going to go be the hero. I'm going to go step in and save the day. And that even that act of service, like, I'm going to go and help Paul, can actually be a way of trying to exalt yourselves versus the more humble thing might be to take, Uh, that three grand or whatever for the plane ticket and expenses and support those who are already on the front lines. To be able to kind of step into the shadows, and maybe I'm anonymous, but I'm actually going to lift up those who are equipped and on the front lines to do the work. I'm going to give up the need to be on the hero spot. In talking with the missionary family on the ground there this week and just checking in and like, you know, we're in Kathmandu, and we, you know, they're building, shaking and all, and, and they're walking through uh, the city, and they're seeing the, uh, the devastation. But one thing he said to me was interesting. He said, um, you know, it has been interesting that uh, I feel like the perception on the ground is different from some of the international media perception. It's like, I see, uh, you know, we, we've been walking through Kathmandu, the capital, and we see kind of folks from some of the nonprofits who are going out and just looking for where can we find that 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 one picture, that one story that just speaks total devastation, and send it back. He goes, that doesn't actually look like the reality. Like the amount of lives lost is tragic, um, but given the scope of kind of the city and Nepal, the bigger issues are up in the villages. And he goes, um, I can't help but feel like the bigger issue here is this is a fundraising opportunity in some ways, you know. And it's like if we can. Uh, exploit the story is look at this need and depict ourselves, our organization, as, hey, we're the heroes, uh, this becomes a massive a massive time that loads and loads of funds come in. Not that it's bad, we should support the organizations that are on the front line, but on a motive level, uh, I was sharing this with a, an African-American friend of mine this week who does a lot of work in the inner city and he just kind of shook his head and he's like, pimpin' poverty, man, pimpin' poverty, that often we will take poverty or situation of need and use it to kind of almost exploit it, to exalt ourselves as being the hero, the one who's going to sweep in and save the day and fix things. And that betrays a different posture than Jesus. That betrays a different attitude than Jesus going, uh, at times I think the danger is that, is it really about um, the poor themselves that we're going to serve? Or is it at times about us wanting to be seen as those who serve the poor? Is it about our kind of reputation? Or is it about the folks on the ground themselves? We were talking with one uh, friend of mine who she went overseas and had worked in uh, Southeast Asia for a long time. She's like, man, I got to confess, when I went over, I used all this language of I'm going, it's going to be about justice. It's going to be, I want to care for the poor. I want to do all these things. And she's like, actually through kind of the reality of being on the ground God convicted me over time and kind of pierced my heart that dude going in it wasn't actually about them it was about me like wanting to establish this presentation of myself wanting to establish this picture of myself as the hero at the center of the story sweeping in to save the day and in reality God's humbled me and now today it's a very different posture of going dude I actually love these people and it's about them. I've been shaped by them and I do want to lay, out my, lay down my life to lift them up uh, and they've transformed me in tremendous ways and it's no longer really about what kind of image do I am I projecting to the world. It's about how do I lay down my life? How do I allow the life of Jesus to pour himself through me and the power of his spirit to reconcile and lift up lift up others. On a personal level, man, one conviction I've had, you know, we had, a, so my wife and I stepped into foster care about a year and a half ago, and it was interesting, like over, uh, you know, the next six months or so, um, when people would go, oh, who's this? You didn't seem pregnant, uh, to my wife, I obviously I obviously didn't seem pregnant, but to my wife, we didn't see you pregnant, you got this new baby, you know? and. And, uh, oh, this is our foster son, it'd explain. And, and over time, like, I kept kind of, you know, it introduced, uh, oh, this is our daughter, and this is our foster son, and, and whatnot. And I noticed over time, my wife um, stopped introducing him as our foster son. Uh, she just started, and she said, oh, this is, this is our daughter, and this is our son. But I kept doing it, like, just out of habit or whatever. And and then we had this convicting conversation at one point where um, it kind of came up, and my, my wife was going, yeah, you know, like, I... uh, My fear is that we would be using his scenario in foster care to try and leverage ourselves as the heroes, you know? Like, is this so much about him and us lifting him up and bringing him into our family and supporting and being for him? Or is this us about using him to try and present an image of ourselves um, and our reputation? And it was convicting for me going, man, I have just such... uh, a deep-seated propensity to try and use or utilize or leverage the situations that are around me to establish and position myself as the hero in the story. And in doing so, I think there's a danger because it's almost like we have to start kind of pushing other people down in order to lift ourselves up. We have to almost start Humbling others in order to exalt ourselves. And I think Jesus steps on the scene, and with the conviction of his spirit, he points us to a different way, right? Rather than humbling others to exalt ourselves, of lifting others up by humbling ourselves. So one of the questions that starts to arise there, I, I think, for us is going, man, would we be content with anonymity, right? Uh, if we really put others first, we would be content with anonymity. Um, I know another foster family who about a year ago, they had, um, man, just run into some hard times, and uh, it was kind of a, a, a gnarly season, um, and they ended up having about uh, $10,000 in uh, debt that got accumulated trying to uh, provide, you know, wrap around uh, their child and, and, and work uh, with some difficult circumstances their child was facing. And they're just like, it's the right thing to do, so come what may. We're not even necessarily going to uh, tell folks about it, you know. They weren't, like, letting folks know. But you could kind of see, like, they sold their car, and they had kind of a, a beater, and they, you know, were, were, were downgrading in all sorts of ways. And, and, um, and anyways, they showed up at their house one day, and they, there was a message like, look under the mat. Or, and they looked under the mat. And someone had left an anonymous deal for the full 10 grand, had somehow found out, and just was like, I don't need to be known. I don't want to be kind of known. But I want to kind of give generously in this way. And it's not about going, hey, look at me. They have this huge debt, this huge need, and I covered it. It was about, I want to humble myself and lift up these others, these people that I know, for their sake, for the sake of them and their family, and the sake of them before God and God's glory, His goodness in the world, and not necessarily to make a name for myself. So that question, are we content with anonymity, if that's what's called for in the circumstances? Are we content to pour out our lives for the sake of others and not necessarily what we'll get out of it. Another story, I have a a friend uh, named Tim, and he has for about the last uh, 13 years uh, been involved every Wednesday night. Him and some friends go out on the streets in Portland, and they just hang out with youth who are living on the streets. Uh, There's not necessarily a big agenda, you know, Uh, but to sit, to be with, to listen, hear stories. Uh, We'll take warm socks uh, in the Portland wet rain. Those those are a hot commodity. Uh, And just to spend time with and know their names. And one of the things that's always struck me about Tim is just his faithfulness, his consistency in the lives of others like that. And if you were, you know, in our church over the last, you know, 10 years, like, man, Tim's like a very quiet guy. He's kind of shy. He's a little humble. He's behind the scenes. Um, You never know, but he's faithfully, consistently giving of himself, of his time, of his energy, and him and his crew to go out and just kind of be with and to know these folks. And that always struck me that, you know, Tim wants to know who they are, wants to know their name, wants to be with them. Uh, And I was always kind of struck by that, but, Tim shared um, more of his story years ago. We were having lunch, and uh, kind of took it to a whole other level, that every Sunday I would kind of see Tim in the same spot with his, his wife, and uh, he shared, and he gave me permission to kind of share, share the this, this story as well, but uh, that you know years ago his wife had had uh, mental struggles and a breakdown, and, and that um, where in so many cases in our culture, that would just be this chance to um, just kind of check out, but Tim didn't. He hasn't. She, she lives at a care facility, but every week he's there faithfully visiting her during the week, coming with her and sitting by her. And what struck me is that Tim has all these folks in his life that he is faithfully present with, is faithfully serving, is faithfully um, giving of himself to, and you'd never know it, because he's not clamoring to be at the center of attention. He's not fighting for the hero spot. He's faithfully serving. And it's, you know, convicting to me, because in our community, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm up on stage, like, doing stuff, like I, there's this visibility. And what struck me is that, dude, you could have someone who is um, up on stage, who's very visible in the Christian community, And you go, man, like, they're really living for God. And you could have someone else who's really quietly pouring their lives out for others. And when God's kingdom comes and is established, it could be, there are many scenarios where God's flipping flipping the tables, right? Where if the motive has been, hey, I'm going to exalt myself, God's like, well, watch out, because when I come, you very well might get humbled, right? And those who are willing to humble themselves... To lift up others for the glory of Jesus, to have his life poured through them, to be poured out like a drink offering, have the life of Christ poured out through them, that when Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom, that it's that kind of a posture that gets exalted and lifted up. So I had this image years ago where I just kind of seeing this vision of like God's kingdom comes and established and Uh, Tim is at the center of the kingdom party, just dancing it up like nothing else, you know? And I'm a bit further back in the crowd and just going like, dude, this is is right. Like, Tim is someone who uh, the life of Jesus has been poured through him onto others at a tremendous level. And that is powerful. So I think Paul's message to us today would be, don't Clamor after being the center of attention. Don't be fighting or grasping for that hero spot. Be willing to take, even to leverage what kind of influence, what position, what place we have, and allow the life of Jesus to pour through us where we can lift up others. We can kind of humble ourselves and pour our lives out to lift up others. And when we do that, you kind of go, well, what's the hope in that. They're like, man, if, if you're Paul and you're in jail and you're like, dude, I might be going on death row here really soon. The hope is that uh, not only did Jesus humble himself and give his life, but as the passage ends, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord the glory of God the Father. That the Christ who humbled himself, God has exalted and has established him in that hero spot, at the center of the universe, given all authority, given all glory, all honor and power that Jesus is exalted and the life that he has exhibited becomes the means by which our world is reordered and set right under his reign. So as we as His as, as followers pour out our lives for others, we begin to participate in the nature and reality of God's kingdom that's coming. When the world is reordered under the authority of Jesus, in and through the life of Jesus, around the reality of Jesus and his loving, outpouring life to reconcile our world and to bring it back to God, that as we pour out our lives today, come what may in the immediate future, that we're anticipating The glory of Christ's kingdom that's coming. So my question for you today would be: who might God be calling you to pour yourself into? Who might God be calling you to give up yourself to? And maybe like that Vietnamese village, it's kind of going like, who is that person that I really, really hate? Right? Like Who's my enemy that I just don't want? Maybe it's someone who there's actually antagonism and animosity. And Jesus is calling you this morning to lay down your rights, your agenda, to extend an olive branch, to reach out and initiate reconciling communication. Maybe it's not so much an enemy. Maybe it's someone who annoys you, that person in your small group and community that you're just like, that person rubs me the wrong way. And maybe it's taking that step forward to, again, kind of lay down the need to sort of be at the center and to lift them up, to seek them out, to ask questions, to get to know them, to pour into them. Maybe uh, you're in a position or place of life where things are comfortable, secure, and maybe there's someone younger that's kind of struggling along and it's going, I want to come alongside you, I want to pour into you, I want to be in life with you. The big-picture vision is that we would allow Jesus to pour his life in us and through us out into our community as a church and let it spill over and flow into the world around us. And in doing so, we'd anticipate the coming of Christ's kingdom. you join me in prayer? Jesus, we thank you uh, that you have given of yourself so dramatically, so profoundly, so radically for us, Lord, Uh, both in your life lived and in the death that you died. And Jesus, we pray that in the power of your spirit, you would continue to live your life out in us and through us as your people, that we would become more and more, God, the body of Christ that you have made us, God. God, that as a church community, as a people, that your life would be lived out in us and through us in your world, God. I pray Father that you would give us uh, discernment this morning and, and just what are those ways that you're asking us to pour ourselves out? Who is that person that we need to reach out to? Who is that enemy that you might be convicting us to make a step towards God? What is that area God that that person that we've shied away from uh, that you're calling us to 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 step out towards and to get to know God. And Father, we, we pray that as we do this, Lord, that we as a people would anticipate the coming of your kingdom, that it would be a, a signpost, God, of your glory, a signpost of uh, your heart for your world, and a, a signpost of the good news, God, that you are coming to set things right, to exalt the humble and humble the exalted and reestablish uh God, just your kingdom and your world for your glory. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.